uh, with Christ our hope uh, in the city of Flint. I say amen. Amen. get an opportunity. We don't get you in the building that often, so to actually get a chance to pray for you. And, and I would just agree, everyone in the room here, join me as we pray uh, for Demetrius, for Guaytoya, uh, and the beautiful work they're doing in the city of Flint. Um, what a wonderful opportunity. And uh, so, yeah, join me as we pray. Father, we thank you so much for Demetrius. God, the passion you put in his heart for his... I'm, I'm excited to give it. Uh, if you could turn to the book of Luke. We're going to be in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And I am going to... Uh, be reading verses 1 through 16. I had a CSB uh, version. I apologize about that. So I'm going to read, and then, I, then I'll pray. Uh, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others. He sent them ahead of, of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. He told them, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Now go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Don't carry a money bag, travel, traveling bag, or sandals. Don't greet anyone along the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this household. If a person of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they offer, for the worker is worthy of his wages." Don't move from house to house. When you enter any town and they welcome you, eat the things set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. When you enter any town and they don't welcome you, go out into the streets and say, we're wiping off even the dust of your town that clings to our feet as a witness against you. Know this for certain. The kingdom of God has come near. I tell you on that day it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. War to you, woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. And whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for your grace. Um, I thank you for just your presence. And I thank you for the cross of Christ. You drew us all near so that we could turn from our sins, so that we could repent and follow you. And not only that, Lord, you drew us near to send us out. So I just pray that um, as the word is given today, Lord, that it would continually work within all of our hearts, as this is something that we consistently need reminders of, of like the many things in our lives. And I just pray that you will be glorified, you will be magnified, Lord, and that we can 
understand what it means to be sent ones because you were also sent, Lord. So I thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. So this passage in Luke, uh, specifically the first uh, two passages, are a couple of foundational verses for Christ, our hope. And I think the, you can't see the slide, it's in white. Uh, it should have worked on that. The light is shining on the slide. We'll just look at it like that. But the, when you think about this passage and you consider the work that uh, we're called to, the, the interesting uh, thing about the work and the interesting thing about life, period, is that God meant for it to be reproduced. Now, this reproduction happens in several ways, whether that's planting seeds in the ground, giving birth to a child, or the seed of the gospel being planted into the hearts of people so that Christ can reproduce a new believer, which is why we must be born again. So all that God breathes life into should have the capacity to reproduce. This is what we see in the scriptures. And accordingly, we sow seeds of the gospel to raise up new disciples who continue to take that seed, cast it about, and watch God replicate the process over and over again. In this passage, we also will see Jesus uh, doing the very thing that I just spoke about. This passage shows how Jesus is training his disciples to proclaim the kingdom of God. And one thing I like about the book of Luke, I think the book of Luke gives us like a, a, a grassroots level at how Jesus molded his disciples to go out before him spreading the word. Now, specifically at this point in his ministry, Jesus is headed towards Jerusalem to be crucified. And before that is going to happen, he sends this group out into many towns to preach the kingdom. It's important because we see Jesus give some instructions to the disciples about how to get the task done. And this is what uh, we're trying to do at Christ Our Hope, as should any Christian. After all, when we look at this text, y'all, we're we talking about the Great Commission and spreading the message of our King. And I think this passage, uh, what this passage does is grounds us in the reality of what it takes to spread the message of Christ. And looking at this, y'all, if Jesus gave specific instructions about the work of the kingdom, I, I think we then must consider what that work requires. So I think the text points out several things. And the first thing is that the kingdom work is that kingdom work requires labor, kingdom work requires instruction, and kingdom work may be rejected. And as we labor in the work of the kingdom, these are points I think we must always consider. Now, y'all, Jesus being a faithful disciple maker that he was, he didn't send the disciples out on a wild goose chase saying, make this stuff up as you go. Jesus demonstrated specific actions. He gave examples and he sent the disciples out to do as they had seen him do on many occasions. 
These specific instructions he received from the father because he said he only did what he saw the father do himself. So, y'all, we seek to emulate that. And the scriptures give us the basis by which we establish how to do the work that Jesus has called us to. So just looking at the first two verses, and this starts off my first point, which is kingdom work requires labor. Now, the first thing that's highlighted in this text is that Jesus is talking to laborers. Now, being a laborer assumes one who has been brought with a price or one whose time has been brought with a price to do some work. Labor itself means physical or mental exertion, especially when it's difficult or exhausting work. Y'all, the word labor isn't a word that brings us great joy. We call it hard labor. We say giving birth is labor. But there is a harvest. And laborers are needed for the harvest. In this text, it shows that the Lord appointed 72 disciples. Now, this shows that while Jesus had the 12, there were many more people that followed his ministry that he would use to spread the kingdom. The cool thing about this is uh, uh, Jesus used a lot of farming analogies uh, to help people relate to his teaching. They understood what it meant to harvest. And I don't know if any of you come from rural backgrounds or farming backgrounds. If you do, you understand what it means to harvest. For those of us who come from the city, like myself, harvesting for us is going to the grocery store. <laughs> that, that don't require a whole lot of labor, unless you include driving or pushing the cart. But the harvest, y'all, was the most hardest and labor-intensive part of the work. And where you don't have laborers, you can't expect a great harvest. And I say that because the ministry of Jesus is always meant to add more people to the fold to continue the work. I liken Jesus to a contractor who bids out a job. And just a, 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 a quick blurb about contract work. It says, uh, from initial planning to final cleanup, contractors manage workflow. Like conductors manage orchestras. They understand the structure of the composition. They cue different players when it's their turn to take the lead. And they probably have experience with at least a few tools of the trade. If you've done your homework and hired well, your general contractor will keep the work flowing, and the crews busy throughout the entire course of the project. Now, this is what we see in the kingdom of God as we work to spread the kingdom. We see Jesus doing this, and after telling them where they would go and how much work there is to be done, Jesus tells them to earnestly pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out more laborers into the harvest. One commentary points uh, to Charles Spurgeon's thoughts concerning the words send out. Uh, Spurgeon said this. Now, the Greek is much more forcible. It is that he would 
push them forward and thrust them out. It is the same word which is used for the expulsion of a devil from a man possessed. It takes great power to drive a devil out, and it will need equal power from God to drive a minister out to the work. That's an interesting way of thinking about it, isn't it? From what we see when Jesus is saying, pray, y'all, this this is a, a supernatural work in which we have to be dependent upon God through prayer. And I always reiterate that. And we've, we've sought to build Christ our hope on the cornerstone of Christ in the foundation of prayer. Because not only does the work demand prayer, it's, it's work that can't be done alone. And we see that Jesus sending out multiple disciples. And, and when we consider this, y'all, we too should be looking around Lifting up our eyes to see the harvest field because it is ripe and ready. Now, all harvest fields don't look the same. The harvest field in Flint don't look like the harvest field in uh, Grand Rapids. But nevertheless, there is a harvest field here. With that being said, our task as Christians and uh, 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 ministers of the gospel is to be consistently looking out and praying that God will send more laborers into the harvest as we go out and preach the gospel and seek to uh, uh, see the lost come to the kingdom. We want this uh, for our church because uh, we're planted right in a neighborhood similar to you all. I think the, 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 the neighborhood is like one of the best contexts for the church because you have access to people. People are right there. Um, some churches, you know, they, 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 they may or may not be in a community, and I, I, I don't fault them for that either, uh, one way or the other, but the greatest impact we could ever have is the impact on the lives of people. And if people can see the church, on a consistent basis, if we can engage with people on a consistent basis, that is more opportunity for people to hear the gospel and get saved. So we should be praying and working on opportunities to serve. I know in Flint we look for opportunities through volunteering at the shelter or uh, uh, caring for the fatherless, uh, doing mentoring and things like that. And I just ask y'all that as we put our hands to the plow, that y'all will pray for us and we'll pray for y'all that the Lord will continually add more laborers to the harvest. That's uh, church, plant, church planting. Uh, if this, this is one thing that would drive, your, drive you to your knees as a church planter 24-7. And that's praying for more laborers into the harvest because we need people to help us do the work. The next thing we see is that kingdom work requires instruction. Now, Jesus gave them five things uh, to do. And I'm about to go through these five. First, Jesus told them, I am sending you out as lambs amongst wolves. He told them how to think about themselves while doing the work. Now, Jesus said, I'm sending you out as lambs amongst wolves. Now, who wants to be likened unto a lamb. 
especially a lamb amongst wolves. You know what happened when wolves encounter lambs, right? Get some lamb chops. That's, that's not the way that we would think of ourselves as we're engaging within this work. But when you think about it and you look at Jesus, the, the disciples had seen uh, uh, him up to this point and everything that he did. They saw his mannerisms with the people and they also saw his mannerisms with his opponents. And in all that, they saw that Jesus was gentle, but he was firm. And we can't see the contrast when he dealt with the religious hypocrites versus people who were lost. But Jesus knew the hearts of humanity perfectly. So he always had a perfect response. So for us, as we're out doing the work, I think it's always wise to try to strike a chord of uncompromising gentleness. Y'all know gentleness isn't, that, that's kind of passe, especially on the internet streets. There is no gentleness when you see debates in social media. We just live in a vitriolic age where people are ready to argue, fuss, fight over anything at the drop of a hat. Even Christians arguing with one another over a multitude of things. And oftentimes what we see is gentleness exiting out the back door for us to try our best to prove our point to one another. Y'all, we can't lose gentleness in all that we're trying to do. We can't lose gentleness while we're trying to uh, 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 tell people about who Jesus is. Gentleness is a major factor of who we are. Paul instructed the Colossians in chapter 4. He says, act wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. The thing about this is, y'all, we, we're, we're not trying to be spiritual bullies, seeking to convert people by force or coercion. We joke around when I was young. Uh, when I first got saved, I immediately went into music ministry. So I used to uh, do gospel rap music. We'd go around the city doing our, presenting our messages, doing our music. And, you know, when you're young in the faith, you got a whole lot of zeal, but not a whole lot of knowledge. And I listened to some, I, even let, my, I let my kids listen to the music, and they was like, Daddy, y'all was real judgmental. Because our message was almost essentially turn to burn. We was young, we was excited, but there wasn't a whole lot of gentleness in what we were presenting. Now, we know there's a time to snatch people out of the fire. But I think first and foremost, we should always consider how Jesus calls us to be gentle with people. And the disciples were instructed to handle themselves in the same manner. Wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. And this is very important, y'all, because the gospel and even us walking out, y'all, we're going to run into opponents. We're going to run into people who seek to malign the faith and the one we believe in. 
In Flint, we got specific issues that we will be dealing with, like some of the cults when you deal with uh, Hebrew Israelites or Nation of Islam and just several other ideologies. And some of these groups can be very antagonistic. But what I purposed in my heart is to uh, 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 be gentle because who, whatever we have to oppose, y'all, it's, it's incumbent upon us to engage them gently and mildly. Never sacrificing the truth, but addressing people with a gracious tone. I always say, y'all, Paul said, let your speech be seasoned with salt, not cayenne pepper. But y'all, we can go forth in the name of the Lord, not fearing the wolves, but we can be Christ-like, seeking to be gentle and meek as we engage our opponents. Next, he told them not to take any extra provisions. Now, this wouldn't be an extensive trip, but nevertheless, y'all, we all like to leave the house prepared, right? They would have the trust in God as they would be leaving without the basic provisions that they would normally keep on a journey. So in that, y'all, we also depend upon the Lord of the harvest. And we depend upon the Lord of the harvest primarily and not a missional strategy. That's not to say strategy ain't important. But primarily, we depend upon the Lord of the harvest. And just, y'all, the dependence for us is is, uh, demonstrated by the fact that since 2012, we've been at this. This this church planning process has been a roller coaster ride. God has took us through many changes. He's, He's worked to mature us. I've been encouraged by the brothers and the sisters in the Lord. But I've known and I, it's been continually shown and I've been reminded that I have to depend upon the Lord. Even uh, our church plant, y'all, God is just so gracious and so kind to us. We were able to start our church plant with a building, debt-free. We, we own the building outright as a church. Our church is fully furnished. God provided us with every single thing that we would need to do the work in that community. Answers to our prayers, he demonstrated that because we've continually tried to demonstrate our dependence upon him. And he has provided. Next, he told them not to greet anybody on the road. So this shows that Jesus didn't want them to get distracted while they were on the mission. Now, greeting people isn't a a bad thing, You know, I just talked about the access to people, how important that is. But Jesus let them know that the urgency of their mission was more important than stopping along the way to greet people on the road. Now, this is kind of interesting that Jesus would tell them this, but the customs from that time, y'all, when you greeted somebody, it was more than just saying, hey, how you doing? See you later. They, They actually would implore you to come into their house so they could show you some hospitality. They would want you to stay, get a bite to eat. And Jesus knew that, hey, you know, there's not enough time for you all to partake in that. Because this would cause time to be wasted. 
If you could think about it yourselves, like when your parents sent you out on, uh, on, to go to the store or something like that, oftentimes what they would tell us was to go straight to the store and come back. Now, you tell your kids this because when they're young, you don't want them to get distracted or go somewhere where they shouldn't go. You're trying to tell them, like, hey, this is what I told you to do, so you just need to come straight back. You don't want your kids to get distracted. This also speaks to one of the benefits of having an established mission and vision. Because we don't want to drift away from uh, uh, what Jesus has directed us to do. And that's real easy. Mission drift can happen to us. So we have to make sure that we're keeping our focus on Jesus and the mission. Next, he tells them when they arrived at their destinations that they were to stop and enter the homes of others. And if there was peace and no hostilities from the hosts, they should stay and minister from that spot. He told them not to go from one place or another. He wanted them to go somewhere and stay put and work there for a minute. And their wages were to be simple things like room and board. I'm quite sure people gave offerings as well, but Jesus, and this is one of the things that we have to contend with in the city of Flint, is kind of like the prosperity gospel and things like that. But, but Jesus did not send the disciples out to make a profit and get rich preaching the message. That's not what he sent us out for. And that's not the pattern that he gives us. Next, their message was simple. Jesus told them to heal the sick and to preach the word, saying, the kingdom of God has come near you. One commentary I read speaks about how the ability to heal the sick showed that the kingdom comes with power exhibited by acts of mercy and kindness. The author would go on to say it may be that the remarkable display of God's power in the work of the 70 was meant to prepare people for the ultimate revelation of God's power and kingdom in the soon death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, he sent us out to do good works and proclaim the kingdom message. These two go hand in hand. Often these ideas are pitted against one another. Some people say just preach the gospel. Some people say we need to just care for and love people. When you look at the ministry of Jesus, both were present present in his ministry. Jesus helped people. He healed people. He demonstrated the, the power of the gospel tangibly for people. And at the same time, he preached the message of repentance, telling them that the kingdom of heaven was near. So in all of our endeavors, y'all, we should be looking for the opportunity to pray for people and also meet people's physical needs. It ain't nothing wrong with that. There are some ideologies that would push Christians away from that idea, but I think that's a part of who we are as followers of Jesus. For us, it's a very pressing issue because as I stated before, y'all, we deal with high poverty rates. We deal with imprisonment and and people returning or entering back into society. We deal with hurting families, and and sometimes these people just need simple care. They need someone to look out for them. And while we're out doing the work, we don't just want to preach at people. We want to honor people as well. 
where when we can, we want to help them meet their needs. But overall, y'all, we, we, we want to be a church that's known for proclaiming the good news. And we want to be a church that's expecting the power of God to work in the hearts of the people to bring them to salvation. We want to be a church that exalts Christ as our only hope in a fallen world. There are many places uh, where hope is lacking. And like I said, it looks different from place to place. But wherever you find hopelessness, our goal, our job is to introduce Christ into a hopeless situation. With that being said, the message won't always be accepted. You could bring as much hope as the Bible calls you to, and some people just won't hear it. Jesus, in the last part of this, Jesus was pretty explicit in what would happen to those areas in which his message wasn't received. And Jesus actually lived in Capernaum. And this is why he's saying that they would receive a harsher judgment than some of the other cities. He did many works in all those cities, yet many people were still obstinate and didn't accept his message. Now, I think this just goes to show the extent of our blindness. Y'all, this, this was Jesus. This was God in the flesh. Like, he, like, like lived next door to some people. Can you imagine that? The person saying that they're the Messiah living next door to you. You know that he's performing miracles. You know that his, his teaching is teaching that you've never heard before. But even in all that, the people still didn't accept them. I don't think we would be too different today. I know we would like to think that, hey, we, we would recognize Jesus. We would, we would accept Jesus. If Jesus lived down the street, if I knew his mama and his brothers, surely, yeah, he, all, all he had to do is show me a couple of things. I would follow him. We wouldn't do it. We'd be the same as they were. We'd take these things for granted. Jesus told the disciples because the rejection that he experienced was also the rejection that they would experience. But he told the disciples to wipe the dust off their feet, then let them know that the kingdom of God has come near you. This was a witness against those people. And we see them doing this in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 13. It says, when the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced and honored the word of the Lord, and all who have been appointed to eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jews incited the prominent God-fearing women and leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their district. But Paul and Barnabas shook the dust off their feet against them and went to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Y'all, when we see what they did in the book of Acts, this, this shows that the disciples were disciple-making. Now, Barnabas may have very well been among the, the 72. We, we don't have any confirmation of that, but we do know that Barnabas came into the story, or is featured more prominently in the story, after the resurrection in the book of Acts. And we know where Paul came from. 
And they have to be discipled in these things to know that, hey, when you receive rejection, this is what you should do. And as the disciples did, we see that they do. They, they moved on to the next place. And they moved on to the next place because there is plenty of work to be done. There is plenty of ground to be covered. And even with the rejection, which Paul and them, they experienced some rejection that would, if you didn't have the spirit of God, you want to tell some people some things. I mean, Paul got stoned. They left him outside the city for dead. But we still saw how Paul got up, still was uh, 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 still went along gently preaching the message of salvation and repentance. We should always be gracious. We, uh, uh, and in saying being gracious, like I said, y'all, I'm not discounting having to give a hard word. But I think we have to know when, when it's time to give a hard word and when to ease up. Second Timothy 2, uh, 24-26 says this, the Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone, able to teach and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. Perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. Then they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil, who has taken them captive to do his will. So from all the messages that we get from Scripture, Y'all, when the word is not received, it's, it's not the time to challenge people. It's the time to graciously move on and keep praying for people to be saved. My wife actually put up a, a, a quote on our, our, our Facebook page where it says, uh, people, people may reject the message, but they are defenseless against your prayers. Now, there are going to be some who won't hear it. But we have to be faithful to keep preaching the gospel, trusting God for the increase. And God don't want us to take the rejection personally. And we could do that because as Luke 10, 16 says this, the last uh, uh, passage out of this um, portion that I'm reading He says, whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. And whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. Y'all, with that being said, y'all, we're merely laborers at work in the Lord's harvest. It's not our harvest. It's not our responsibility. It's his. It's all his. So when people don't accept the truth, y'all, we know that they're not rejecting us. They are rejecting God. They're not rejecting us. They're rejecting the Lord that died and was resurrected so that they could be saved. Jesus was on his way to the cross when he gave these guidelines and instructions. And we see how Jesus was at work in all of these areas. He prayed to God. He chose his disciples, and they became his first laborers. He taught and led them by example, showing them what to do. 
And lastly, he was rejected by the masses. And this is what we do today. Y'all, Jesus sends us out to proclaim his name, letting the masses know that the king has come. He was crucified. He suffered the wrath of God in your place. And he was raised in glory. And now he invites you into his kingdom. The first time when, when these disciples went out, y'all, Jesus was headed to his death. But as we preach the message, he is going to return. This is why we started um, Christ Our Hope. Because we wanted to advance the kingdom of darkness by the power of God. We wanted to see people rescued from the oppression of Satan by the power of the gospel and making disciples out of men and women, preparing them to duplicate the process. And churches are started because faithful disciple-making will produce more missionaries to be thrust out into the harvest, which ultimately leads to greater reach of the gospel. Churches are started because God wants his message to spread to the ends of the earth. And he raises up laborers to do it. We've been bought by a price. And with that purchase, God not only saves us from his wrath, but he makes us workers in his harvest of souls. So that more people can be saved. So for those of us who know him, y'all, we can be forgiven for the times in which we did not approach the work according to his instructions. Some of us may have lost our zeal. We may be fearful of rejection. Or we may just prefer our comfort over the labor that it takes to spread his word. What we see from the the gospel and the person of Jesus is that he, he wants us to become better and more bold at his work. So he forgives us. And not only does he forgives us, but he continually equips us. And he does this so that we can continue to preach his message. So that when we fall, we can get up and continue to do the work that he's called us to. Some of you may not know Jesus in here today. But in saying that, the brothers and sisters in the Lord that you encounter, we all are his workmen. We seek to walk, explain, and love people just as he sent his workers to do. We want people to hear the gospel. We want the unsaved to understand their need for a savior and come to saving faith in Jesus. Jesus said that he didn't come to condemn, but he came to give life. But the fact of the matter is, if if you don't know him, you are condemned already. You're condemned already from the, from the, 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 just the plain truth 
And we are all born in sin as human beings. And the destination has already been determined. But the gospel provides an exit ramp to salvation. I would implore anyone who could hear this message to not be one of those who reject the message of Jesus Christ and then face the eternal judge not being covered in nothing but your sin. I would implore you to believe in the accomplished work of salvation by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus so that you can be saved from the wrath of God. That is the message of workers in the harvest. And that is the message that we preach because we are sent out just as Jesus was sent out. And we're thankful for that. Amen? Let me pray. Lord, I thank you uh, just for your word. I thank you for your patience and your loving kindness towards us, Lord. I'm thankful that you are forever gracious towards us as your people. That, Lord, we may not do uh, everything right the way that you commanded us to do it, Lord, but there is forgiveness at the cross for us. That we can believe the gospel, that we can confess the gospel over ourselves on a daily basis and know that uh, by your love for us, we are forgiven. And I just pray that your word would work within those who may not know you today, Lord. That they can understand that uh, you, you came and you sent us, sent us out and you sent out your followers so that they could hear the gospel. So I pray that you would just work in their hearts, Lord, bringing them to repentance and conversion and faith. In Jesus' name, amen.